Support for this episode of This Changes Everything is provided by Primera Blue Cross. Long before the coronavirus hit the U.S., Crosscut staff reporter David Croman had spent a lot of time covering homelessness and poverty in King County. I think when we think about homelessness or report about homelessness a lot of the time in Seattle, we, I feel like we're often talking about like chronic homelessness, so people that we see on the streets or in shelters, and you know, that is a big part of it, but you know, the, there were the people who were sort of teetering on the edge of homelessness. Even if they weren't homeless, you could imagine how they could become homeless fairly easily. And so David launched a series last year called On the Margins. Like most people in Seattle, David knew there were thousands of people living without shelter in the region. But from all his reporting, he also knew that there were thousands more at risk of becoming unsheltered. People living paycheck to paycheck, people with disabilities or illnesses, or who just find themselves in complex circumstances that make it really hard to stay out of poverty, including Seattle's extremely high cost of living. And there is a social safety net, of course, but it's limited. And so when I was thinking about sort of on the margins, um, it just seemed like in recent years, the, the sort of margins for where people might be kind of teetering on that edge have been kind of moving outward. Um, and so I sort of wanted to find where that was and talk to those people. And now the number of people on the margins has exploded. All right, the breaking news, the new unemployment numbers just in, weekly jobless claims, they paint a full grim picture. We're going to turn now the to the impact of this emergency on the economy. For eight straight weeks now, jobless claims have been in the millions, with three million more people filing for unemployment last week. 36.5 million Americans are now out of work and filing claims since mid-March. Fed Chair Powell called this the biggest shock in living memory to the economy and said he doesn't believe that the economy will fully recover from the lockdowns until the end of 2021. If you look at Suddenly everybody is painfully aware of who is on the margins because there's a good chance that you know people. Or that you are one of those people. Needing to rely on unemployment income is at least dozens of times more common in the U.S. right now than being infected with the coronavirus. Those numbers will continue to climb in the coming months, potentially as high as 25 percent. And it's hit people without much savings especially hard. Nearly 40 percent of all Americans in households earning less than $40,000 a year lost their jobs in March. People like Kaylee Tesson-Joseph. David spoke with Kaylee back in April about her experience. Before all this, I was a full-time server at Applebee's. I was taking care of my family of three. Um, and then, of course, with all this happening, it, it kind of, everything went downhill from there, you know. I think Kaylee is kind of the perfect example of um, who is most vulnerable right now. Because she had a job, and she was basically doing okay but had very little wiggle room. I mean, she, she was telling me that basically she's living paycheck to paycheck, which, which, you know, can work in good times when people are going out to eat, people are going to Applebee's, and she could pretty well count on that paycheck to come. Um, and, you know, I think most of us either have experienced something like that or know people who are experiencing something like that, especially in a region like Seattle, King County, where housing is so expensive and food is more expensive, and really everything is more expensive, a huge number of people are like Kaylee, where they're living paycheck to paycheck. But Kaylee, of course, started seeing her work reduced even before the stay-at-home order. I went down from what used to be 
35 to 40 hours a week to about 25 hours a week. Um, and then, of course, the stay-at-home order came, restaurants were closed, and she was laid off completely. From there, things kind of looked scary, but but I knew I had to be rational and, and think of other plans to support my family. Kaylee had, growing up, she her family had sought some relief from government agencies. My, my parents always taught me that I miss all this stuff, that there's always some type of help out there. There are a number of benefits that both the state and federal government have expanded right now to make it easier for people like Kaylee to survive for a few months. There's the $1,200 check from the federal government, the infusion of cash into the unemployment system and to the food stamp system. And in Washington state, it's now easier to access Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TANF, the program that people are often thinking of when they use the term welfare. And so she, I think unlike a lot of people, at least kind of knew where to turn and knew that she could turn somewhere. And so... Um, sort of managed to stay calm through the whole thing and, and achieved unemployment and was able to apply for food stamps. Um, so yeah, she was she was kind of able to stabilize herself. But it's really not clear for Kaylee or for millions of other people what's going to happen next. Who knows what happens if Applebee's stays closed for a few months. Just all that uncertainty just filled up a lot of emotion and frightened me as to what the future can hold, you know? A lot of the programs that have been put into place now were the the only reason that they really got buy-in, I think, in such a bipartisan way, is that they were sort of seen as temp- temporary. The expectation, I think, when a lot of this got passed was that this would be a couple months and you'd have this V-shaped recovery and you'd have this dip and then uh, kind of bounce back. I, I think people are less convinced that that's going to be the case these days. And so... If it's not a V and it's more of a swoosh-shaped, you know, a more slow recovery, um, the the really kind of thorny stuff I think is going to happen in that slow incline when maybe things are recovering a little bit and maybe the coronavirus is a little under control. And so therefore, these emergency measures are going to start to fall away, but people are still going to be in really, really difficult situations. And so there are a couple of questions that come up now. For one thing, when so many people need this kind of assistance, what happens when the government can no longer give it? You know, restaurants, hotel industry, so many things are going to take years to get back to where they are right now. And I'm not sure anybody expects the government to float us all for years. And then when so many people need this kind of assistance, what happens to how we as a society think about this kind of assistance? You know, my my sense is when people have firsthand or secondhand experience with something, they, you know, develop some amount of empathy or understanding. And so I think a lot of the stigmas that are have been wrapped up in homelessness and welfare programs are probably the result of some lack of empathy for the people who are going through that. And so we've collectively as a country now just injected a whole ton of empathy <laughs> Uh, you know, we all know somebody or we are, are currently experiencing huge fallouts that are not our fault and looking to the government to help us. I'm Sarah Bernard, and this is This Changes Everything, a podcast from Crosscut about the new normal. 
course, lots of people have been experiencing extreme poverty and homelessness for a long, long while. And in King County, homelessness was officially declared an emergency back in 2015. At the time, there were over 10,000 people experiencing homelessness in the region. And declaring a state of emergency allowed local leaders to secure extra funding and resources from the state and federal government. There has been a lot of work done since then, but addressing the issue is an ongoing struggle. So here we are in yet another emergency on top of that one, one that affects almost everyone in some way. As a result, there are things that are suddenly possible in terms of government assistance that simply were not possible before. And in many cases, these are the very things that advocates for a better social safety net have been asking for for years. So I asked David Croman, who's been covering the social safety net and homelessness in Washington state for a long time, what he's been seeing happening since the outbreak. What changes have been made, whether they might stick around, and how these changes and the way we think about them might affect all of us in the long run. Stay with us. So there are people who are at risk of becoming homeless, maybe now more than ever. And then there are those who are already homeless before the virus hit. Thousands of them were spending their nights in communal shelters in Seattle and King County. And all of a sudden, that was an urgent problem for public health. When you think about homelessness and a pandemic, the sort of congregate crowded shelters that people are living in are kind of the worst possible situation because there's not a lot of cleanliness. People are really crowded together. They're all sharing bathrooms. And we know now, of course, that the virus can live on surfaces for days and it can travel through the air on a cough or a sneeze. And so it's bad for coronavirus, but it's also local shelter operators in general were sort of coming around to the idea, even before the coronavirus, that these these congregate shelters are not the proper response to homelessness. And that was an idea that even longtime providers of shelter were coming around to. Um, And so what the coronavirus has done is shown exactly why having crowded shelters is bad. But those problems existed beforehand. Exactly. I mean, for example, um, you've done a lot of reporting on people experiencing health challenges while homeless. I'm wearing this colostomy uh, bag uh, 24-7, you know. This is Hugh Daniels speaking to David and CrossCut video producer Jen Dev last year. He dealt with colon cancer while living in a shelter in Seattle. There's only three sinks in there for 200 people. There's times that I may need to get into the restroom because of an emergency right away, but all the stalls are filled. Those challenges aren't always infectious diseases, but still it can be hard to stay healthy regardless, you know, regardless of whether we have a pandemic on our hands, you know. Yeah, I mean, people people had been really sick in those shelters for a long time and had been getting sicker. Um, and dying as a result of their illnesses and their inability to uh, find privacy or cleanliness or proper care while living in those shelters. And so this was a fire that was burning already, and the coronavirus is just gasoline on that fire. When the coronavirus first came to Washington... The first thought among decision makers and homeless shelter providers was social distancing. You know, the initial the initial response was to basically find more versions of uh, congregate shelters and sort of spread people out. So you're doing more of the same, but putting people in less crowded places. But it 
became clear fairly quickly that even that wasn't going to be enough to stop the coronavirus. The numbers, of course, keep changing. But as of a few weeks ago, there were over 200 people at at least a dozen different King County shelters who'd tested positive for COVID-19. So then we saw more movement towards putting people in hotels. So um, the Downtown Emergency Service Center, which has been operating shelters for 40 years, moved most of its major downtown shelter into a Red Lion Hotel in Renton, which is good for public health. But, it, you know, you talk to the people who move down there, and very few of them are happy to be there because of coronavirus. Most of them are happy to be there because it's a better situation in general. It's like being having your own place. Yeah. I've got the key. I don't have to answer to nobody. That's Trinity West. David met her at the Red Lion in Renton in April. And David says, again, generally speaking, even before the virus, it's not like people loved congregate shelters. Nobody really wants to be in those shelters. They're not pleasant places to be, um, coronavirus or no. Anything is better than being. There I feel, I felt caged. 151 people in one area, somebody's in this now. And at the Red Lion, there's privacy. There's a stronger feeling of safety. And, of course, people aren't sharing the same spaces and surfaces and so on. You know, you, you talk to them and you say, this is, you know, I have my own room. I can close my door. I don't feel like my things are going to get stolen. I can take a shower when I need to. All things which are probably good to control coronavirus, but also just things that are good for these people. And uh, many people would argue just kind of society in general. So we're in a unique situation right now. Abstract ideas about living in community, about our fundamental interconnectedness. Those ideas are suddenly no longer quite so abstract. Our individual well-being is very much wrapped up in the well-being of everyone else in our community, um, which I think you could argue is, has always been true, but it hasn't been true enough. Um, it's been to the point where Homelessness is, for a lot of people, I think living in Seattle is sort of a nuisance or maybe something that they don't like to look at very much or something, you know, maybe they feel some empathy for the people who are experiencing homelessness. But for, I would say, the majority of people in Seattle, it's not something that was necessarily an existential threat to them individually. Now, when you're thinking about a public health crisis, it is. The health of the homeless community uh, is important for your own personal health, because if people who are experiencing homelessness are getting sick with the coronavirus, the odds that you are going to get sick with coronavirus are higher. And so it's just, it's kind of interesting how um, with the arrival of this pandemic, uh, suddenly these organizations are getting help and resources to do the things they were do, wanted to do for years. And I think a lot of that is because suddenly people have a personal stake in solving this problem. We'll get back to my conversation with David in just a minute. But first, a message from our sponsor, Primera Blue Cross. Primera Blue Cross was founded in Washington state. With offices in the Puget Sound area and Spokane, they know the profound impact the COVID-19 outbreak has had and will continue to have on our local communities. They joined the region's major employers who made the early decision to send employees home and help protect vulnerable family members, friends, and neighbors. The Primera team is in your corner and doing what they can to help during this health crisis. That includes covering COVID-19 tests and related office visits without out-of-pocket costs for most plan members. And they're working with the federal government toward free testing for all, regardless of health coverage. 
Primera has expanded virtual care options too, so people in Washington can get their symptoms checked by a doctor without leaving their home or receive ongoing care, like mental health therapy. Primera is offering early prescription refills to make sure members have the medications they need at the ready. Mail order and 90-day refills are also available. Ask your pharmacist if you want to know more about your options. Primera continues to actively monitor the situation to find more ways they can help to stop the spread of COVID-19 and get treatment to those affected. Learn more about how your care is covered at Primera.com. So David says homeless shelter providers and advocates, they had already been wanting to move away from these congregate shelters anyway. And I, I think a lot of those conversations were being forced by the fact that the, the homeless population in Seattle and King County is getting a lot older and a lot sicker. And um, these these shelter providers were being asked to do things that are not that they are not qualified to do. They were being asked to perform a level of sort of care that they are not trained to do, nor should they be trained to do. And so, um, you know, where maybe I think early on when these shelters were not so crowded, the population was a lot younger, a lot healthier. It was sort of a better alternative to living on the street. Even that sort of basic premise that being inside, no matter how uncomfortable, is better than being outside. Even that basic premise, I think, was was already being challenged before the coronavirus because some of these places are truly pretty unpleasant. And now the coronavirus has made it. So that's kind of a coin toss of a question. Is it actually better to be inside in a crowded place in coronavirus? Maybe, but maybe not. You know, maybe it is in fact better for people to be staying outside for their public health, which is not to say it's a good thing <laughs> to be outside, but it's that's the, the level at which um, this has sort of degraded how that system works. Um, and so when you talk to people who work in that world and they see their clients, many of whom they've been working with for many, many years, looking sort of content there. And so tell me about your your room here. How is it? 253, I love that room. I think that brings them a lot of gratification. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I feel like some of the people you talk to, and I mean, they were saying, I'm feeling like seeing these changes and seeing how this is happening now, how this is possible now. It, it's like, I don't want to return to the status quo. I don't think... Like, can we, after COVID, can we go back to the congregate shelter thing? Like, I don't think we can. And there's just this sort of feeling of like, let's go in this direction. Let's stay in this direction. At the same time, I think there's this sort of undertone of fear about what happens next. You know, the Red Lion is rented until July for these people. Um, officials in Renton and in King County have already made it fairly clear that they don't want this population to stay past July. Um so in the same sense of what we were talking about with the social safety net and how the really difficult times are going to come when these emergency measures start to fall away, I think that's going to be true for um, the region's response to homelessness too. And, oh, by the way, Seattle, King County, and Washington State are going to have a lot less money to deal with this problem. So um, I think there's this glimmer of hope from a lot of the service workers um, in the fact that some of the changes they've been calling for are happening right now, that is also undercut by a lot of fear that um, once we return it, it to some semblance of normalcy, the situation could be even worse than it was before. Yeah, there's a lot of real fear at all levels of government that there will be a lot less money in every budget now. 
The city of Seattle, for example, expects an up to $300 million shortfall thanks to a massive reduction in its typical revenue from sales and property and business taxes. And the state of Washington could see a $7 billion hit to its budget, also due to a loss in tax revenue. This is on top of the fact that the city and state are also spending so much right now. To fix these problems, every level of government is spending a lot of money that it doesn't have. (laughs) And eventually, they're going to need to stop spending that much money or start paying the bills on some of this stuff. Um, And that's the point where it's going to be really challenging, I think, to keep up a lot of the progress that's been made. We will also hear plenty of arguments from folks that will say, um, you know, we've been calling this an emergency since 2015. So, you know, it might be difficult, but we really don't have any choice. It is just kind of, generally speaking, um, kind of amazing to see all of the changes that have been made uh, nationally and locally since this virus happened. Uh, this is how this order will work. You know, for example, right now there's a statewide rent freeze. Um, right now there's a statewide freeze on, or a moratorium on evictions. Residential landlords will be prohibited from serving a notice for default payment of You rent. have people who uh, would otherwise be staying on the streets or in a congregate shelter. Those people have their own rooms at a hotel. Um, there are all these things that are happening that... Um, the Federal Housing Finance Agency directed Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to suspend foreclosures... It's almost like, for at least wait, days this is possible? <laughs> they told us this was impossible, you know? As more families head to Valley Food Banks, more funding is also on the way to keep up with demand. Uh, one of the centerpieces is what we would call unemployment insurance on steroids. Tiny house villages like this one typically run into resistance from neighbors and city planners alike. But now these kind of projects are being fast-tracked in the city of Seattle, seen as one way to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Is there something that changes um, when this need is so clear? I don't know what will change and or how it will change. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure anyone does, but... We we appear to be in a place where everyone fairly unanimously agree that government assistance is a good thing right now. And a lot of those people were saying the opposite not that many months ago. And so then what this what this pandemic sort of does for me is it, it shows, okay, there is a line at which most people agree government assistance is warranted for people. Um, We all cross that line very, very quickly, but we're going to start sort of walking back a lot more slowly. And so as we sort of walk back, where is that line? Is who is deserving of government assistance? Because, um, you know, especially with homelessness and with, especially with welfare and the temporary assistance for needy families, both of those things are, have just a ton of stigma um, from built up of over many over many years. TANF in particular has this sort of reputation for uh, you know people getting on it or whatever and then not being motivated to go back to work. And um, it was you know remade in the '90s specifically to be a thing to get people back to work and not to be you know it has the word temporary right in it. It's never supposed to be kind of a 
a permanent safety net. And underpinning all of that is this sort of sense that being on a program like that is detrimental to your own independence. But suddenly we're in a situation where everybody is really hurting. We have millions of people who are unemployed. And the, the sort of rationality for um, withholding government assistance has mostly fallen away. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see whether or not the stigmas of both homelessness and the social safety net are rebuilt back to where they were before this pandemic or not. Of course, we don't know the answer to that. All we know is we're in an intense, scary, historic moment right now. Because there are not only new problems to solve, but also old problems that are suddenly much bigger. Does this change how we think about those problems? Maybe. Does it change how we approach them, even beyond this crisis? At the very least, it seems safe to assume that the politics around these issues will change. And lawmakers are going to be trying some new things. Once people realize that they are being helped by these programs, does the sort of attitude towards them shift? I think there are people in elected office right now who are counting on that. I can tell you, though, that there are some things we've learned. You know, already Governor Inslee has vetoed a bunch of spending. Under normal circumstances, I would not veto bills that are good policy and smart investments over time. But simply put, these are not normal times. You know, $400 million in spending, and he basically left the social safety net and homelessness programs intact. We're not going to cut essential services to uh, people in the state of Washington. We're going to find a way to finance them. And I think that is pretty telling of kind of where legislators' heads are at. Uh, we're seeing spikes in uh, social services for TANF. You know, I talked to Senator Joe Wynn, who's himself grew up on TANF and is one of the sort of most outspoken advocates for expanding TANF. Austerity is not going to work for us. Uh, so we know that is true just because we've done it in the past. And that's sort of what he was saying is, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that when I come out of this, my sort of more skeptical colleagues suddenly sort of see where I'm coming from. And that'll be interesting to see if that actually does end up happening. Thanks for listening to This Changes Everything. This episode was produced by me, Sarah Bernard, and the story editor was Mark Baumgarten. Engineering assistance from Rusty Bacall. Our cover art is by Greg Cohen. Thanks so much to David Croman, who's been covering this emergency and the emergency of homelessness and so many other things for Crosscut since 2015. And yeah, he's grateful to have a job right now, but it's not like this hasn't affected him personally too. You know, my wife is not working very much right now, which is basically okay for us right now because we've gotten the $1,200 checks and we've she's got some unemployment. And, but what happens when these things start to roll back and she's still not working? Hopefully that doesn't happen, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. You can read all of David's work at crosscut.com and all of the newsroom's coverage of the coronavirus at crosscut.com slash coronavirus. You can subscribe to This Changes Everything on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please do leave that review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find us. For more on This Changes Everything and other Crosscut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. 
For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. This Changes Everything is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.